God has given me a message, but more importantly, God's got a message for you. So in some way, I've got to kind of get out of the way so that you hear him. I'm the mouthpiece, but he's the one that wants to invest into your life to take you to where he wants you to go. Okay, so let's pray about that. Great God, we thank you that we can come before you. We thank you that you have called us by name. And it's not a mistake that we all sit here in this building today. Father God, there is many places, other places we could be. But now you have our attention. And we would ask Holy Spirit that you would make our attention stick to what you want to tell us, hear what you want to tell us, and know how to live that out in the victory that you have won for us. And we ask this in your son's precious name. Amen. Okay, I want you to imagine something, okay? You're standing on the footpath on a street. Could be your street, could be any street. But you're standing there, and all of a sudden you hear this just uncontrollable screaming and yelling, fighting going on from inside a house. And it gets your attention. You zoom towards the the front of the house going, what is happening in there? And all of a sudden, out of the house, through the front door, bursts seven naked men. (laughs) Cut, bleeding. They're just in total hysteria. They come screaming out the front. They turn past you and they run off down the road into the distance. They're gone. How would you feel? How would you feel? Did you know that this story is in the Bible? Let me read it to you. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Now, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest. They were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Now, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? The man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. And when this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. Now, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practised sorcery brought their scrolls together and they burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. There you go. It actually did happen somewhere. In Ephesus, apparently. So I'm not making this up. It could have been you standing on that street corner. It is an amazing story, I reckon. An amazing story. Sceva, the Jewish chief priest, he's got these seven sons. And they get this amazing introduction to the demonic world. And it really shocks the town, if you read it. It rocks the town of Ephesus. The new Christians, they bring out their books on sorcery. See, they've come out of this old way. They've been touched by Christ through Paul's preaching. And all of a sudden they're going, whoa, we've got all this stuff we need to get rid of. Because we've just seen how Jesus works over the demonic world. And with that, they bring out what? 50,000 drachmas of scrolls. Now, a drachma is a day's wage. So there's 50,000 days wages having a bonfire in the marketplace. Up in smoke it all goes. That changed their life that much. That's quite an amazing story. The reality of the demonic and the power of the risen Christ turned the town of Ephesus upside down. I'll say that again. Let it sink in. The power or the reality of the demonic and the power of the risen Christ turned this town of Ephesus upside down. Now, the reason I tell you this story is because Satan and his demons are just as real and valid today. Just as real and valid today. I believe that. And seeing we're looking at moving forward, which is what we're looking at in the, the process of um, understanding where we go in Christ. And it's the sermon series. And, 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 and what we're looking at is these roadblocks that get in our way. Now, moving forwards, being about deliberate, I reckon. We're talking about that here. Being deliberate in doing what God wants us to do. Deliberate in how we love and share with our friends. 
Deliberately pursuing the purpose that God has on our life. Deliberate in getting real and taking action in what Christ has called us to. Deliberate in sharing Jesus. And roadblocks, well, that's anything that gets in the way from us being deliberate. Roadblocks are the things that stop us from moving forward and fulfilling both the freedom that we have in Jesus and the purpose he has for our life. See, God wants us to smash through these roadblocks in our life. God wants us to smash them out of the way because his call upon our life is for victory. Not to live in the gutter, but to be stand strong and stand out and bring others into that kingdom because he has so much to offer. The roadblock that we're talking about today is oppression, spiritual oppression. I kind of thought, you know, it kind of makes sense because we've looked at the flesh and we've looked at the world and now we're going to look at the devil. And it's kind of like the unholy trinity, isn't it? The world, the flesh and the devil, they're out to take us out. So we need to understand what is it that we experience with the devil and it's called oppression. Now, There's a big difference between what I spoke about with the seven sons of Sceva and what I'm doing in talking to you as Christians. You see, there's a difference between possession and oppression. And it's not just the spelling, okay? Possession is totally different to oppression. The man who was not the follower of Jesus, who was not the Christian, he was filled with an evil spirit. And he's the one that questioned those seven sons. And he's the one that jumped on them, gave them the beating, ripped their clothes off and kicked them out of the house. Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. (laughs) You're a bunch of losers. And the Spirit attacks them. In fact, it would be hard for me to find a story in the Bible where a Christian is possessed by a demon. Because there is none. Biblical evidence shows that a Christian cannot be demon-possessed. Why is that? Well, it's quite simple, because a Christian has the Holy Spirit living in them. And a demon cannot possess the same person. What has light with darkness? The light overcomes the darkness. So a demon can't live in a Christian who has the Holy Spirit. Light and darkness can't live in the same vessel. So the question I propose is this. What influence or power does the devil or a demons have over a Christian? What influence or power? That influence is referred to, I believe, as oppression. And the truth is, is that oppression on a Christian can be a very heavy weight to live under. A very heavy weight, if not dealt with. So here we have a dictionary's... Can I push it again? No, I'm going the wrong way. There, dictionary, oppression. To be put under subjection, to be subdued, to press upon or against, to crush. You ever felt like that in life? In your Christian walk? Do you wake up, sometimes your days are just like full of that? Sometimes it's mild, sometimes it's heavy. It's because the battle we're in and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. It's exactly what Satan wants to do to believers. And that's why this, I think, is such an important roadblock to be looking at. And understanding so that we can move forward. If the enemy can oppress you in your faith, then you'll not live in the freedom that Jesus has won you on the cross. And under this oppression, you will not live out of the full potential of the purpose that Jesus has for you in your life. And that's why that's an important vision statement for us as a church. Because they're the things God wants for us. Freedom And to live out his purpose. Now, the people at Ephesus knew how real Satan was. Do you remember Remember the seven naked bloody men? Well, maybe you shouldn't be remembering them. But that's how real it is. I say that and I use this because often we just become quite blasé about who the devil really is. It's no surprise to find Paul then writing about Satan and demons in his letter to the Ephesians which is where I want to read now. See, Paul knew the experience they had in the town. So when it comes time for him to write a letter, he's going to tell them all about Satan and his works. 
But the most important thing to remember, he tells them how to overcome it. Now, that's what you and I want to hear. Okay, we believe it, but how do we become overcomers of this oppression? That's the great story that Paul writes for us. Have a look at this. <clears throat> Ephesians 6, 10 to 13. Finally, he says, be strong in the Lord. Finally, because he's at the end of the book. Okay, so he's going to sum it up. This is his summary. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I mean, there's a sermon just in that, isn't there? Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle's not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers. It's against the authorities. It's against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. It's an amazing verse. verses. Paul reminds his readers that because of the oppression that they will receive from the devil and the demons, you need to be alert and you need to be ready to fight. Are you ready? That's what he's asking. Now, he really doesn't mix his words here, if you notice. And I think that's the reason he doesn't mix his words is because he knew what they knew. He was there and saw what they saw. It changed the community. They took out all those books and they had the big bonfire. We're going to get rid of anything that has anything to do with the devil. We're going to burn this. There's a cleansing going on in Ephesus. So it's not a dream. It's not a fantasy. He's saying, wake up and smell the roses, people. You live in a spiritual world. And it'd be, well, I don't know if it'd be good or not. It might shock us too much. But imagine if you're able to pull back this reality, just pull back the curtain of the now and look behind and see what is on the other side of our natural world. And I think God doesn't allow that because it might shock you to see actually the spiritual world that is all around us that we can't see. But he knows full well of what's happening. So demons do exist. The devil's out to destroy you and your life. The whole reality, Paul's saying, is pretty harsh. So let me tell you what. And so he writes the letter. I remember my experience of this reality came flooding home. It's only happened once, and I'm praise God it is. I was speaking um, at a youth camp in Hobart, um, just out of Hobart at a place called Blue Lagoon. Beautiful. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? It was really nice. And it, in fact, for Tassie weather, it was pretty good. It was a youth camp. There were about 80 kids. I was the guest speaker. And I was invited down to speak to them. It was a, it was a wonderful weekend, except something happened on the Saturday night. Now, just to set it up, I had my own room. It was a double bunk, like every camp. You know, everyone sleeps in double bunks. I had the bottom bunk. There were people next door in their room and other rooms, it was in a house. I had my own room because I was the guest speaker. I was all by myself, and then I had a window to the outside. And I'm asleep on the, on the bottom of the bunk, and, all, and it's probably 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden, I am literally thrown out of my bed, and I'm on the floor screaming and yelling. I don't know what it was. I can only put it down to being demonic, this heavy oppression weight was upon me and I was wrestling with this thing. Now, it felt like hours, but it must have been only seconds, I reckon. But I tell you what, I was screaming. I was yelling. And in my yelling, by the time I could get my breath out and my voice to saying, I'm casting this thing off. I'm claiming the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm pulling down everything I can from the heavens in Christ's name and casting this thing off me. And it was a battle. I was in this wrestle. And it was heavy. 
till I got to a point where this thing lifted off me and I heard footsteps outside my front door, uh, outside the window, running off into the distance. And I just lay there. I was whacked. <sighs> my chest was heaving. And I was sweat. I was in my pajamas and I was just soaked. I pulled myself back into bed and laid there for a long time, shaking. Now, I got up in the morning and went to breakfast. And my neighbours next door in the room next door said, what happened last night in your room? And so we talked about it. You know, God was doing amazing things in this camp and I reckon something wanted to fight with me. Now, I worked in a team. My mate, who was my co-worker, was in Sydney. He was doing a youth camp. And so after breakfast, I thought, I've got to ring him up, tell him what happened last night because I think it's been a spiritual battle that I've been in. So I get onto the line, we're having this guy. I said, you've got to hear this, mate. Explain it all to him. And he said, he said to me these words, that's exactly what happened to me last night. Word for word. We had exactly the same experience in other states. It's the battle we're in. Now, I must say, I, I, as a pastor, I've had to deal with lots of stuff like this. But that's the thing that probably shocked me. I still shake and hope it never happens again. The reality is true. And this is what Paul is saying to the people at Ephesus. You've seen it. Wake up and smell the roses. It's all around us. We are in a battle. Demons do exist. So let me ask this question. Why is it so important to understand what Paul is saying? Why is it so important for us to do this? And I believe it's because beneath the surface appearance of your everyday life, an unseen spiritual battle is going on for your soul. I believe that. And it's raging. You've only got to look at Paul's words there to see that it's raging. It's hostile. And the devil won't give up. He knows his time is running out. The devil wants you made useless for God. He wants you disarmed in God's service. If you all read the book of Job... Yes, hopefully you have. If not, go home and have a read of it. You will see clearly how the devil's power and what the devil's power can do to people once they get the approval. But it'll take out your body. It'll take out the demonic activity. It'll take out your home. It'll take out your wealth. Take out your friends. That's what, the, that's what Job's all about. But God is always in control. But things are allowed to grow us, to prune us, to challenge us, to mature us. God allows things into our life to make us stronger and depend on him. Now, we might not see outright demonic activity like in Ephesus in our everyday life, but oppression occurs in many ways. And I want to just explain that to you because he's very subtle, the enemy. And it happens like this. The devil does not know your future. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. He's not all power. He doesn't know everything. Only God knows that. God knows your future. God knows everything about you. And that's a good place to be, knowing that is the case. But the devil knows enough about your past to do great damage. Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, if he gets the chance, he's going to bring up your past as much as he can to take you out. This is, I believe, where those fiery darts that Paul talks about get in under the armour and take you out. What do I mean by it? Well, he knows what scares you. So he knows your fears. So he can use that. He, um, he knows those death words that have been used about you in the past. You know, in the playground where the people call you fatty, fatty. That hurts. He knows he can use that. He knows, you know, when you've been called either ugly or you're a mistake or you're a failure. You know those death words? I've got a few in my life. I know if he gets in there and I'm not being quite careful, he can bring me down. He can take me out because it plays that message again that was said in my past. What about your upbringing, your family life? Were you abandoned? Were you rejected? He knows how to use those. These are the things he can get in with. What about the, the words we say about ourselves? Jeez, I'm hopeless. Really? Oh, I'm useless, we'll say. How easy does that come off your tongue? He's, he knows that. And he'll say, you're useless, you're hopeless. And he will get in there and he will take you out. That's the oppression I believe that he will use. What has happened in the past to make you sin and mess up? 
And I'll just give you a little illustration there. Um, I'd had a conversation with Fee during the day, my wife. And I made a comment about something that she wants to do and sort of went on with everything. I'm out there emptying the dishwasher in the kitchen. She's over against the sink. And she says, I want to talk to you about blah, 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 what you said earlier in the day. And I, I'm a bloke and I only do one thing at a time. I, I can't empty the dishwasher and hold some D&M. Okay? But I'm, so I'm emptying the dishwasher and she's going, I need to talk to you. And I'm going, but I'm emptying the dishwasher. You, you know, we need to sit down to that. And this is where I'm at. And she brings it up. And she says these couple of words and all of a sudden I get really angry. And then I turn and wah, I vent at her. And I, I kind of, in, one side of me is going, what happened then? <laughs> where did that come from? The other side of it, I'm defending my honour. And you know what? She goes, what? what? And, and then we're in. We sat down after all that and we had the DMM. And I realised the comment I made to her probably wasn't the right thing to do. It wasn't, the, probably, it wasn't the right thing to do. I needed to be said in a better way. But what really concerned me was what pushed me to say the comment. And you know what it was? It was going back to my upbringing that talks about me being fear of failing. And what she did was tapped into my fear of failure. And she was saying something, so it wasn't so much even about the conversation. My anger was driven by my sense of her pointing that I'm a failure. That's where I was going with the conversation. Now, did you see how the devil so quickly got in there? And all of a sudden, husband and wife are fighting. And that's simply amazing. How quickly did that occur? The devil's got his darts, and he will use them as much as he can. He knows enough to use against you and to cause you to be bound and restrained. He can have a very strong influence over your words, your thoughts, your behaviour and your spiritual walk. He can immobilise you. And immobilising you equals oppression. Equals oppression. The way I explain demonic oppression, I think, is like the fuel behind the function. Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, the world's pressing in on us. Okay, the world with all it's, it has to offer. It's, and it's pressing in from the outside. Now, Con spoke about this last week. He's, he, he spoke about um, idols. And I think that's the way the world try and catches our attention. The toys that it has out there that we think you know, will, will make us a better person and, and, and help us to ease in life. So we've got the world pressing on the outside. Then there's the flesh. Now, Nathan spoke about the flesh a couple of week back, weeks back. But it's kind of like on the inside. It's the, it's the old nature Paul talks about, the old man, sinful man. And it's pushing from the inside and the devil's just stoking the fire with it. He knows what's capturing our attention. He knows the words that are rising up and he's just fueling the fire. And the function of all that together, as I call it, the unholy trinity, brings you out of the game, takes you out for those few moments, few days, Six months, who knows? It can take you out. That's what we have to be careful about. Because what happens is, in him stoking the fire, is that this unseen power and pressure messes us up and we fail and we fall and we get into this pit and then we have to be helped out of it. If he can give power to our desire for more toys or to remind us how the person treated us last time we met with them, or get us to act in ways that's contrary to the word of God, he got us. He's got us under his oppression. He's, a relent- he's in relentless pursuit to disarm you of your spiritual power that you have, and you have in your control by Jesus. He's going to disarm your power. He wants to take away your freedom in Jesus, And he wants to disrupt and to destroy the purpose of where God is taking you. He's sneaky. He won't take your power from you. Often he'll just give you something else to distract it. And then, well, once you've taken the bait, he'll apply the pressure to keep your focus on it. And that's the devil's oppression. It's a terrible place to be. So Paul says, refocus and take your stand against the devil. Refocus and take your stand against the devil. And this is how you do it. First one, pushed again, 
No. How come it went back? Understand who you are up against. Understand who you're up against. Now, I knew an older gentleman in, in one of the churches. I he had the position of getting into a plane in Darwin and flying over the South Pacific, taking photos of islands where the Japanese occupied. Now, that's quite an amazing job when you think of it because at any point they could put a plane in the air and take him out. But I've seen some of these photos. The, the gentleman uh, is with the Lord today, but I saw some of these photos that he took. It's quite an amazing um, journey this man had in his life during the war. The, why do I tell you this? Because a thorough knowledge of the enemy will help you to know his tactics. Isn't that true? That's why the Australian government sent him up. Tell us what they're doing so that we're on the edge. We can get to them before they get to us. This will give you a healthy respect of the devil's prowess in the battle for his defeat, if you know how he works. That's why it's important that we understand oppression and what he does. I believe if you underestimate your spiritual enemy, you shall see no need for God's armour. If you think that he's really not that bad, then why even put on the armour? And that's why you must have a healthy respect for who he is. I kind of wonder if that's the reason why we get taken out so easy. Because we forget that we're actually in a spiritual battle. And I think that's one of the things the devil can do. He says, yeah, everything's cool. You're fine. You're a good Christian. Just hang in there. Paul says, have a look. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Okay? It's not against flesh and blood, he says. Sometimes I reckon it is. But... He's saying there's much deeper than this, much deeper. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What an amazing picture of what Paul has been shown. This is what you and I are up against. Do you believe it? Do you live in the light of it? That's the question he's asking us. Has anyone read The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis? You, You know what I'm talking about. Get the book and have a look at it. It's about a demon with an understudy. And this understudy is to make this man not meet God. But the problem is he does. And then, how do you take this young man who's now a Christian out of the game? So it's written from the devil's point of view, this book. C.S. Lewis is so clever. He writes it from the devil's point of view. So God is actually called the enemy. It's very clever to see how the devil can disrupt us and how he gets in, says a little word, gets those fiery darts under, and we're taken out. Paul tells us this. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You know, the devil has a scheme for you. He is tactfully shrewd, ingeniously deceptive. He is shrewd to take you out. So he's going to get you. As, as he will try every way he can. Okay? And I think that's what Paul is trying to say to them. Now, let me just give you the other side of this. Let's not be too quick to find a demon behind every door. I don't want us all to become demon inspectors. Okay? I think we need to get a balance here. I have enough sin within my own flesh to make me fall. You know what I mean? I don't need the devil to poke it. He will. But I fail and fall short because of my human nature. I'm not perfect. I am a human. So I can't blame the devil for everything. And I don't think this is what Paul's asking us, to blame someone. He's not saying you need to blame someone. He's saying you need to be on the front foot, noticing that you are in a war, and therefore be proactive. Okay? Be proactive. He says this in verse 18, be alert. Be alert. And uh, uh, funny, uh, the the big tunnel that goes under the the train lines at Central, there was graffiti, and it said, be alert, the world needs more alerts. I don't know if you know that, but I, I never forgot. And I thought, I've got to be alert. So I'm going to need to be alert for God. And he's saying, check it out. You know, don't let your peripheral vision not see that there's always something going wrong. Because if you're in a war, 
you're going to make sure that everything is happening around you. You must know what is happening around you. And he tells us, once we know what we're fighting against, we should get ourselves ready for the battle. Get ourselves ready for the battle. I'll show you another picture here. Do you know these guys? Have you ever seen these guys? Nathan Adderidge and Ian Jensen. Well, these two guys won gold in the 49ers in the sailing crew in the 2012 London Olympics. They won gold. But they won gold out of their four races, I think it was in the second race. They had enough points to come out in their last race and just get into the boat and sit there. They'd already won. They didn't even need to get into the last race. Well, they, the rule says you must enter into the boat and sit in the water. But you didn't, they didn't have to cross the line. They'd already won. Now, that's quite an amazing you know, place to be because you're working from the point of winning without even doing anything. Well, did you know that's exactly where we sit? That's how it stands with Christians. Jesus has already won the victory for us against the devil at the cross. This is a fantastic verse. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Now, let me ask you, has, the devil appeared, um, has Christ appeared? And what did he do on the cross? He died for us. He won the victory. So where do we stand? I'm already victorious. I'm already winning. I just got to get into the game. I just got to get into the boat and enjoy the victory. So here it is. Let me say it this way. As believers, we do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. You hear it? We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. You are already winners in this battle. You are already winners. Let that sink into you. Let the Holy Spirit tell you that clearly. You are already the winners in this battle. That's exactly right. You can have full confidence in what Christ has achieved for you on the cross and what he's given to you to enable you to battle on. The big requirement is that you put on, he says, the full armour in this battle. See, these guys still had to get into the boat. They still had to get into their weddies and their, and, and their life vest. They still had to put it all on. But they were already winners in the boat. It's the same with us. God's given us the complete outfit. The complete outfit. I mean... It's a wonderful place to be, isn't it? Because when you think of it, no one goes onto a footy field with one boot. What's the use of that? You're not going to win a game in one boot. You've got to get all boots on. Or no one goes into a battle with a gun with no bullets. You know, I'm not going to hit them over the head with my gun. You've got to have the full outfit. Ladies, if you go out at night, you're going to, you're going to go out with one earring on. You know, you could put on the whole full, full outfit. This is what he's saying. You've won. The battle's already won for you. But I'm going to tell you what you need as you go out. And it's got to be the full armour. He's given us all that we need. You need to realise you need it and you need to put on a lot of it. But notice he says, it's up to you. It's up to you. And it's quite interesting. How do you actually put it on? I think it's by renewing your mind. This verse doesn't say it. I think it's in Romans he says, you need to renew your mind. What does renewing your mind mean? It means to get the truth into your thinking. Because renewing your mind is not so much involves you getting the word into you, though that is the case. You need to get God's word into you. But it's more about, uh, sorry, it's not about getting into the word, and you must get the word into you, but it's more about getting the word into you. In other words, seeping it through your body. You need to get into the word, but the word has to get into you. That's all about being doers of the word and not hearers only. Or what do we call it here? Get real, take action. Get real means getting God's word in you, being honest. Wow, the word of God says this, I'm claiming this. Taking action is I'm going to stand in this and live in the light of it. Get real, take action. Don't just read the Bible, live the Bible. Do the Bible. Because of this, Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Notice it says when, not if the day comes. Not even suppose the day comes. 
Paul's promise to you is when the day comes. You are going to be in a battle. It's going to be sometime. I don't know what's going to happen when you walk out these doors. You are going to be confronted because we live in a battle. So you can have full confidence in what Christ has achieved for you and given to you to enable you to battle on. The big requirement is that you put it on. Let's have a look here. How do we do that? How do we do that? Put on the full armour of God. Now, I can see Paul looking at this Roman soldier. Let me bring up this little fella. It's very hard to get a photo of a Roman soldier 2,000 years ago. It just wasn't around, so I've got my little cartoon man. He's got everything that we need to look at. Okay? I can just imagine, though, Paul's writing this letter... And he looks across and he looks at the Roman soldier and he says, you know, to do the battle that I'm talking about, I'm going to use this man as an illustration and what he's wearing. I mean, it's no different than what we do with communion, is it? We have an illustration that points to a reality. Paul's saying, look at this armour, check out, I'm going to tell you about it, but don't get caught up in the armour. Get caught up in the truth of it, what it points to, Okay. There's a six pieces of armour. It's a special equipment he's talking about and you need it for both offence and defence. Not five pieces, not four pieces. You need the lot. And Paul's giving us this picture as, a, as an illustration. I mean, every good preacher has a good illustration. Paul's got the perfect illustration. He says, check out this guy. I'll give you the illustration. Don't get lost in the illustration. Though. And I think that's normally what happens. People think about the armour of God and they, they can remember the armour... A belt, a helmet, a breastplate, uh, uh, feet, a sword. And then you go, well, what do they mean? They go, I don't know. Well, what's the use of that? You see, maybe we should forget the picture and remember the... It's righteousness and salvation and peace and the, the word of God. And they're the things you've got to be remembering. And that's what Paul is saying to us here. So here's the first one, belt of truth. Buckled around your waist. I'm glad I changed that. I had the wrong waist in the last service. It was like refuge waist I had. <laughs> Someone said. So I went and changed it. Whew, that was good. Spell check didn't bring that up for me. Anyway, it was the belt that drawed the toga up. Now these men, the soldiers, had the, you know, from shoulders to ground, toga. And when it came to battle, they'd hitch it up so they didn't trip over and they put the belt around it. So it came to their knees. It freed them to run and fight and be the soldier they were needed to be. And truth is that quality of life that is opposed to falsehood and lying. And therefore it's essential against the father of lies. So we need truth to free us and to make us the people we are. Because I don't stand in Ken's truth, I stand in God's truth. With the belt of truth in place, you will not be governed by wrong reasoning. You won't be governed by misinterpreted feelings. And all the other voices, the things that are saying things to you. You know, my conversation with my wife at the dishwasher. I needed to go to the truth there. I am not a mistake. Yes, I make mistakes. But I am not a mistake. Get below it, you disarm it. Then there's the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. This protected the heart and the, and, and the other vital organs. Remember, it's God's armour we're dressing in, not ours. It's God's righteousness, not ours, that we're putting on. Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, there's two types of righteousness spoken about in the Bible, imputed and imparted. Let me try and explain it to you. Imputed is what gets put on us, gets credited to us. So illustration is this. Here's... I'm not, but he's Christ in all his perfection. White robes. 100% perfect. Here's me in my fallen nature state, black with sin. Christ says to me, take off your unrighteousness, Ken. So I rip it off. He says, I will take off my righteous pure robes. He gives that to me. I put on his white righteous pure robes. He takes my sin, puts my black sin unrighteousness on me. He goes to the cross. I mean, that's what kills him. Perfect men don't die. So what kills him? Imperfection. Whose imperfection? My imperfection. That's why he dies on the cross and pays the price for my sin. 
That's why he can rise from the cross, because he's paid the price, but he's perfect. You can't keep a good man down. He gets back up in three days. It's been paid for. It's called imputed righteousness. So what do I get? I get credited to me Christ's righteousness. I stand righteous in Christ. You stand righteous in Christ. That's what the cross did for you. And next time the devil tells you you're a mistake, that there is nothing good in you, just point him back to Jesus and have him, tell him to have a look what you've got on. His righteousness, not yours. And that's a slap in the devil's face. That's what we get. But there's also imparted righteousness. And imparted is about the continual work. It's like sanctification. He's teaching me to be right every day, renewing me, changing me, challenging me. Christ is so good. He lets me in this journey to grow into Christ-likeness. And that's a beautiful thing. We get that from him because he is our father. And he takes us on this journey of growing us. Feet fitted with the gospel or the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. If you're a Christian, then hopefully you know about this peace. If you're sitting here today, one of the reasons you're sitting here is because you know about this peace that Christ has brought you. Hopefully that is the case. If you don't, I want to talk to you. Because there is an unbelievable, deep immersion of peace that God brings us in the Christian life. I know because I know because I know. And I am settled in Christ. And he has brought truth and reality and and freshness to my life. Well... He wants to take that out. We want to go out with that. Now, the word readiness in Greek means to be prepared, to be made ready. And the gospel itself is to be the firm footing of the believer. We get to walk worthy of it, and it will produce this great testimony from it. Because of the peace, we want to get it out there. So there's this sense of it that our feet being fitted gives us both stability and mobility. You see? Because the stability, I am firmly grounded in what Christ has done for me, but it gives me mobility to run on, to tell others, to give this peace to other people, to share the peace with those around us. And that's the peace that comes with his feet fitted with this. Then there's the shield of faith that stops those diary farts, that fiery darts. That, <laughs> that, and sometimes that's what they're like, aren't they? Those diary... Those fiery darts that get under. Paul actually calls them flaming arrows. That is a good description. A flaming arrow that will take you out. Take you out. Oppression of the devil brings wrong thoughts, nasty words, little lies, selfishness, desires to sin, and these can easily penetrate your mind. We must quench these flaming arrows by faith. It's funny... If you have a look at his little shield, they're like a door. They carried around these solid doors. And so when the flames came, they couldn't penetrate. This is what your faith is like. In fact, he says, though, you only need faith is this big. And you can move that mountain. So step into the faith that he has given you. You can be solid rock on what Christ has done for you when you fight against him. Then there's the... Helmet of salvation, the helmet guards your head, gives protection over the mind and your reasoning. That salvation that was won for me, I place over my mind and my thinking. It's important to know that salvation and what it means to you. And then there's the sword of the spirit. This is for our defense, the sword of the spirit, isn't it? It's our weapon of attack against the evil spiritual realm. The sword's God's word, he says that. He says it quite clearly in Hebrews 4.12. I think he says, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And I kind of go, wow, what could be sharper than a two-edged sword? Maybe a three-edged sword, four-edged He said it's sharper. It's, it's, it's like, you know, the laser out of Star Wars. It's, it's, the, it's amazing. That's God's word. So that's why we need to know it. That's why we need to yield it. And that's the invitation he does for us, doesn't he? He says, take it up. Learn it. Let it sink in. Have quiet times. Go to life groups. Have a mentor. Meditate on it. In other words, stop, sit, listen. Let it get into you so you can get it out. That's the sword. And if you think about it, that's exactly what happened to Jesus when he went into the temptation. Remember the 40 days in temptation? The Holy Spirit brings him up out of the waters of baptism, straight into the wilderness. And what does he wield every time the devil says something to him? The word of God says. See, this is what the word of God will do for you. The Holy Spirit will do for you. 
When the devil comes and says, yeah, but you're hopeless, uh uh-uh. God says, I'm his child. He went to the cross so I could have life. Get out. I am not hopeless. That's what we have. It's quite amazing. Look at this. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. All these things God has given you, you can demolish strongholds. You ever thought about that? I mean, if you don't think you're in a war, you don't think you can need them. But I tell you what, you're in a war and you've got everything you need to say, nick off, devil, demon, whatever it is that's seeking to oppress me. I don't think you have to name it. Just tell it to go. Because the armour we have is ours. And then the last one, praying in the spirit on all occasions. This is how we keep the communication lines open to God. This is how we get to come to him. I mean, you think about it, no one in an army doesn't have a communication line. It's got to go up line to the captains, generals, those who know, as well as come down the line. So you've got to be praying, and you do that best in the spirit. So you need to be in communication, praying this over you. I'm going to close, but I'm going to close with a little illustration. Because some people go, well, how literally do you have to do this? You know, and I'll, I'll tell you when Fiona and I got married, um, I wanted to. T- I was working for Kingsway Community Church. I've been there five years, and I said to uh, Brett, the senior pastor, I said, "Look, I'm getting married. I'm bringing two stepchildren in with my two children. It's a blended family, new wife. I think I need to take time out of ministry and just focus on the family. I think I need time out to give that all my attention. So I'm going to go back." into the workplace, and I'll get a job and work at that. I didn't leave the church. I still worked there. I just didn't get paid. Um, I, uh, I was a part of the congregation. So I actually got a job in a chemical company out at Cornell. I don't know if you know where Cornell is, out on the peninsula. And it was a chemical company out there. It was an OHS nightmare, an OHS nightmare. And we're talking about chemicals that are quite dangerous and quite... Um, uh, um, caustic. Anyway, we had this chemical country, company and I had 12 blokes to look after. So I've got chemicals and 12 blokes. Now these blokes, they were a hard bunch. They were a hard bunch. The majority of them lived in Cornell, so they didn't have far to come. In fact, walk to work, that's all it was. And uh, my boss said, listen, you know, you do, because he is a Christian, he says, you do such a good job in the church you should just transfer this out to the chemical company and you can take over and get that running just as well as you get the church running. Yeah, thanks. So, okay, I'll take up the position and, and I'm out there. Now, these guys, they were, like I said, they, they were very much of the world. Very much of the world. Um, they drank, they smoked dope, they criticised, they swore, they watched porn, stuck up porn, had porn everywhere in the factory. It was, it was quite amazing. That was their life. They complained. They fought. It was just a cesspool of damaged, broken people. And I'm talking, these guys are only in 1920. It was hard to go to that place. I found it really hard. I was in a church. Everyone's nice in a church. And all that I just talked about was actually done in the workplace. You should have seen what they did outside. So many times they had to stop them smoking dope while they're fixing chemicals. This is their lives because they had nothing. It was so sad. I felt for these guys. Really felt for them. I used to have to go around and get them out of bed sometimes. I thought, oh, where's Joe? Come on, I'd drive around to his house, shake him, get him up. And the reason they were doing this because these guys literally would buy a two dozen pack of beer. I don't know where they kept on getting the money from. They would drink that two dozen that night and then come to work in the morning. I don't know how you knock over two dozen beers, they would do it. And they'd just top up the next day and top up the next day. I mean, I don't know if they're alive today. But that's what it was like. Do you have a workplace you go to that's really hard? Do you have a home life you go to that's really hard? Do you have a street, neighbours next to you, living around that's really hard? Is there this potential of conflict? I'm like this, but these people live a different way. And I'm in this tension, in this conflict. Well, you know, the problem was, when I first started, they saw me as their pastor, and they used to call me that. It was really cool. And they 
kind of kept all the bad things away from me. They'd, they'd hide the porn when I walked into their, their um, lunchroom. They didn't put any up when I first started. They took it all down because they knew that the pastor was coming. And they were really cool about it. But you know what? didn't take long. It all started to come back. And they started to do life like they used to do it. And it was really hard for me. And I found myself getting deflated and oppressed. It was hard work. I used to come home going, whoa, this, this place is terrible. Until God hit me with this. He said, you haven't got the armour. You need to be preparing yourself to go into the battle. So I don't know if you know, I lived at Miranda and the road to Cornell is just one long windy road and if you get stuck behind a truck or a petrol tanker, it's really slow. It used to take me 20 minutes. So what I would do from the I'd kiss fee goodbye at the door, I'd get in the car and I would pray on the armour the whole way to work. And it's amazing how the workplace changed. So I was there for four years all up. For two years, I just went like this. And after praying on the armour, things started to change. Because, see, I wasn't going in de- defeated. I wasn't going in deflated. I wasn't going in as the one who's lost the battle because the world is, is taking over. I came in as the, into the enemy's ground, and it really was the enemy's ground, with one who is in the victory. That's what you get in your life. That's what you need to hear today that you can approach that which is in your life in victory. That's where we stand. I'm going to ask the team to come forward. I don't think I need to say anymore. If the worship team would like to come forward, I'm going to pray. But if you would like, if there's something that you're battling with, after the first service, a few people came up to me and went, wow, this is what's happening in my life. And we had some prayer. So if you'd like to come forward, Please come forward. We'd like to pray over this, but my challenge to you is know the battle, put on the armour. Let's pray. Great God, we do thank you for the reality and the shake-up that you give us. Father God, the reality of hearing about the battle we're in and the armour that we put on is is like eating a three-course meal right now. There's a lot to consume. I pray that you'd help us to digest this and to understand the reality of it so that we can be the powerful people you have created us to be. That we can say no to sin. That we can say, get out of here, whatever is speaking into us at at a negative level, and that we can have the victorious life that you promise. We can have freedom and purpose to live for. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.